well, I actually did a paleo challenge with Sarah, and I realized once I read the rules, I was like, oh, this is just fine dining without risotto. (laughs) You have to get the best ingredients Mm -hmm. from the best sources in season. You can cook with animal fat. Like, it's, I was like, oh, and it instantly, like, reignited my passion for cooking. Um, You know, I was making every meal for his breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, my personal journey has been over the past, you know, five years, you know, I lost like 65 pounds. Wow. I believe Every person has a right to basic knowledge of how to optimize their mind, body, and spirit. Here, I bring to you influential individuals and ideas to help you live a more healthy, fulfilling life. I'm Julie Fouché, and I'd like to welcome you to Pursuing Health. Welcome back to Pursuing Health. This is episode number 32. And on this episode, I sit down with Pete Servold. He is the owner of the paleo meal delivery company, Pete's Paleo. And I've been using Pete's Paleo meals for about the past six months now while I've been going through my clinical rotations in medical school. And I have been blown away by their quality and convenience, but even more so, I've been blown away by Pete's personal story, as well as his commitment to empowering people to eat local, real, fresh, and delicious food on a regular basis. So a little bit about Pete before we get started. He has extensive culinary training and experience. He attended Le Cordon Bleu in Atlanta, Georgia, and worked at restaurant Eugene, where he really experienced the true meaning of farm-to-table and fine dining. It wasn't until the restaurant industry started to take its toll on Pete's health that he decided to join his local CrossFit affiliate, and it was there that he found Paleo while participating in a 30-day challenge. It wasn't long after that that Pete's Paleo was born, and I'm excited to sit down and talk to Pete a little bit about his background, as well as some of the principles that Pete's Paleo lives by some advice for getting the most out of your local CSA, and of course, we'll have to talk about bacon as well. So before we get started, I have a few quick reminders. First of all, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes where you can subscribe and consider giving it a five-star rating. You can also head to my website, juliefouché.com. There you can enter your email to stay in the loop with the podcast and everything else that I'm doing with my bi-weekly newsletter. And I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, send your story to me at info at juliefouché.com and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. If you're interested in training with me, check out my program through Beyond the Whiteboard. This is the actual training that I do now five days per week, an hour per day, and it's scheduled out for you minute by minute from warm up to cool down. For more information or to try it out yourself, visit beyondthewhiteboard.com slash juliefouché. Also important this week, Pete's Paleo is doing a giveaway contest, so make sure you check back onto my website as well as my social media accounts for all the details. And with that, let's get started here with episode number 32 of Pursuing Health featuring Pete Servold. (music) 
Welcome back to Pursuing Health. I'm here with Pete Servold of Pete's Paleo, and we are going to get into all kinds of details about paleo today, but I wanted to first start off by just welcoming you onto the podcast and then seeing if maybe you could start by talking about your background growing up as far as food and exercise goes. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. I'm stoked to be here. Um, I grew up um, moving around a lot uh, because my uh, dad worked for McDonald's for oh, okay. 35 years. So that is um, where my original background in food came from, not what you'd expect. Um, but I had a very typical, I think, 80s, 90s childhood. Um, you know, lots of uh, fruit by the foot and gushers. <laughs> Uh, the Kool-Aid squeezies and Capri Suns and Lunchables and all that stuff that we thought was food. Oh, you're bringing back so many memories right now. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like that's just... Yeah. And we think back and it's like, no wonder I had, you know, a cold every two months. And no wonder <laughs> you know, when we got the flu, everyone was sick. And um, But at the same time, uh, my parents made time to coach most of our sports teams. I played, you know, baseball in the spring and summer and football in the fall and, uh, you know, golf and uh, a pickup game with all the kids in the neighborhood pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I grew up, you know, running around outside. And so for the most part was was relatively healthy, even though I was not, you know, eating, I would say, the best meals during the day. Mm -hmm. And then my folks always made a point, um, especially because of how busy they were, that we always had dinner together. Okay, and okay. even if even if it was, um, you know, it might have been shake and bake pork chops and rice roni, mm -hmm. uh, but there was a starch, a veg, a, a meat and a salad. And um, that was definitely where I started to form the ideas that like, you know, sitting down together and, and the community of food and um, and all of that stuff is almost as important as what you're eating. And my biggest food influence was definitely my grandmother, my mom's mom. Um, when I was like seven, we made an apple pie from scratch together. Oh, and I like oh. got to sift the flour and I peeled all the apples and like my hand was like hurting so bad at the end. And she's like, let me help you, Peta. She has <laughs> this great Maine accent. And, uh, I said, no, I can do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> and I'll never forget, you know, you, you start with all these raw ingredients and then you open the oven and there's a dang pie in there. It's like <laughs> I, I did that. And I, I still like, that's what I love about food that you just take it and you make it yours and you start and it's a lot of work. And sometimes your hand ends up, you know, all crooked and, or cut or whatever, or burnt, but it's awesome. And then when I was, uh, you know, middle school, high school, I, I still really wanted to be in food and be a chef. And I would, uh, I remember I would run home after school and great chefs of the world was this show that was on the discovery channel. Okay, and okay. it was always some French chef and the woman would have to, there would be a narrator that was interpreting everything that he said. And it was this like super old school high end, like they would do an appetizer, a main and a dessert. And there would be two episodes back to back. And I was just obviously a very nerdy kid because <laughs> I would run home and watch that. And then Bill Nye, the science guy, was on afterwards. I was, I was a happy kid. Um, but I think like most people, you know, you kind of get into your getting to college and kind of not really sure what you want to do mm -hmm. uh, with yourself. I, I knew that like I liked food. 
Um, but I was like, man, chefs don't make that much money and they work really hard. And I don't know if that's, you know, kind of what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to go to school for business and it, I have a lot of fun, but I didn't do very well in school. <laughs> um, and I also picked up a lot of bad habits, um, of just re- eating really poorly. And I started working in restaurants, you know, bartending and serving and really developed a really crappy lifestyle. It's pretty pretty typical for that industry. Um, You know, you work from, you know, if you work a night shift, you're working from three or four in the afternoon till one or two in the morning. And, you know, you get off and everyone, everyone that you know and love is asleep at home like normal people. And you're up, you're up with all of these crazy people and you have cash in your pocket and you're like, yeah, we should go out drinking. It's two. What else are you going to do? You know, (laughs) and that kind of becomes your life. Uh, you know, very quickly. And basically until I was 25, I did that. And in that process, put on a good amount of weight. I was, you know, I'm only 5'10 and I got up to about 215. Okay. And none of it was, none of it was muscle. It was uh, mostly bourbon and chicken wings, I Hmm. think probably what it was mostly made up of. And you weren't really working out much at this point or were you still? Yeah, no, I basically, as soon as I left high school, like even in high school, I was going to the gym. Mm-hmm. There was like a lifetime fitness down the street from where I worked. I would go there. Mm-hmm. And like the second that I got out on my own, I like quickly like just went into immature 19 year old boy. Think that you can continuing to think that you can just eat whatever you want and do whatever you want. And like, you're still going to be, you know, cause I was a rail my whole life. Mm-hmm. I looked, was very skinny. I was always, always looked healthy. Um, and I kind of thought it would always be that way. I don't know, you know? Right. Um, and then you, you're like 25 and you're like, Oh, this is not, <laughs> this isn't what I had in mind. Um, but I got really lucky and I met my wife and, you know, at this point I had, gone to culinary school and um, become like a pretty decent chef. Mm-hmm. I had worked, worked at some really good restaurants. And when we met, I was just running like a catering catering place and and way overweight and not living a good lifestyle. And she's like, you're too talented to waste your life doing this, you know? Mm-hmm. And I was like, sure, yeah, okay. And I think we had been dating for about three weeks. And I woke up um, at like three in the morning and I had like a 104 degree fever. Mm-hmm. And every time my heart beat, it felt like someone would stab me in the chest. Oh, no. And uh, it's funny, you know, we had just, we had only been dating for a few weeks and I didn't want to, I was just like, uh, I got to go. I, I, <laughs> She's like, you seem like something's really wrong. I was like, I just need some Gatorade and some Tylenol. I got to go. <laughs> and like any grown man um, whose mother is in town on business, I ran to my mom. <laughs> of course. I, I was like, where are you? She's like, I'm at the hotel. I was like, I need help. <laughs> and um, it was nuts because it was pretty clear I needed to go to the emergency room. But, you know, I was a service industry person, so I didn't have health insurance. Okay. And it was like, uh, okay, can we sign up for health insurance online real quick and then go to the doctor? <laughs> this was before you could, you know, this was six years ago now, seven years ago. Right, so it was right. before insurance companies could deny you for pre-existing condition. Okay. And um, 
I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to get insurance afterwards. And like this entire time, like literally every heartbeat is like, I'm like someone's just punching me right in the heart. Oh gosh. So go to the doctor, they do a bunch of tests and it's pericarditis. Okay. Which I'm sure you know what that is. Um, and you could probably describe it better than I do, but essentially they said the sac around your heart that's meant to make it beat easily mm-hmm. had become inflamed and was in, was actually squeezing my heart shut. Mm-hmm. And then they they really scared me because there's a lot of things that can cause it that, you know, basically any type of infection can cause that. Right. Um, so then they had to take a bunch of blood and they ran, you know, a bunch of tests and everything came back negative. And then they started talking about my lifestyle and they're like, well, what's your life like? You know, mm-hmm. what kind of health, what, what's your health regimen like? And I was like, it's not, you know, and basically I had chronic heartburn so bad from mm-hmm. just stress and eating horribly that my esophagus had become so inflamed that it had rubbed up against it for so long that it became swollen on itself. Okay. And so I'm, I was 26 and I was like, you know, it's your wake up call. It's like, uh, I have a heart problem and I'm 26 years old. Like, and I did it to myself. Like that's, um, I mean, you either wake up and change or, you know, you, you don't really want to be around. Mm -hmm. And so I immediately started, you know, going to CrossFit a lot and we did like a 30 day paleo challenge Okay. And as a chef, I was, I always, you know, you, you hear like a diet and you're instantly like, that's, I don't, you know, that's not food. That's not, right. we should be able to cook whatever we want as long as it's from the farm and blah, blah, blah. Well, I actually did a paleo challenge with Sarah and I realized once I read the rules, I was like, oh, this is just fine dining without risotto. <laughs> you have to get the best ingredients mm-hmm. from the best sources in season you can cook with animal fat like it's I was like oh and it instantly like reignited my passion for cooking um you know I was making every meal for his breakfast lunch and dinner Mm -hmm. and I you know my personal journey has been over the past you know five years you know I lost like 65 pounds wow um, I was before my daughter was born. Now I've, I've got like a little bit of a dad bod again, but <laughs> still eating pretty good. But I went understandable. From, yeah, I was training like I was training like five or six days a week, going to the chiropractor and the acupuncturist. Like I was like one of those people that was like that into it. And right. um, but when we did our first paleo challenge, when I was all excited and having all that fun, um, everyone else in the gym was eating like grilled chicken and steamed broccoli. Right. And they're like, could you make more of what you're making (laughs) and bring it? And like, obviously, like the light bulb went off in my head. Um, My biggest problem with working in the restaurants is that you work so hard. You have these crazy hours and you don't really make that much money. Mm -hmm. And also the places that serve the best food, you know, it's 40, 40 dollars a plate. Right. Like how many people can afford that? Who is that really helping? Right. And so um, I came up with the model of Pete's Paleo where, you know, we take the meals, we take all the orders ahead of time. Mm-hmm. So that we know exactly how much food to order so there's no waste. 
you know, we do production during the day. Everybody has a normal schedule. We pay everybody a living wage. Mm-hmm. Um, from the beginning, you know, we have health insurance and 401k and, um, and like you said, thank you for saying that the food's good. You know, it's, um, it tastes like really good food. And that was definitely my goal from the beginning was like, there's gotta be a way, way to do food good, like make a living, not give yourself pericarditis from stress and lifestyle, um, and still serve food that, you know, you can be really proud of. And so that's kind of how it all started. And this all started, how long ago was it that you even, that you did this challenge for the first time? Five years ago. So in five years, you've grown a lot now to be across the entire United States um, shipping nationally. But what were some of the principles? I know you talk a lot about having local food and not wasting anything and sort of being sustainable. But what are some of the principles that drive the decisions that you make for your company? Um, I think one of the biggest ones from the beginning was, you know, realizing a lot of the problems with people's health mm-hmm. and a lot of problems with our food system is that we grew up on Gushers and Lunchables and Capri Suns and not like a ton of like food, like real food. Mm-hmm. And so as adults, we kind of eat like 11 year olds and it's <laughs> like, I only like this. I only like chicken breast and I can't see the bone. And I don't like, I like cauliflower, but I don't like broccoli. And chances are you really just haven't had it or had it done well. Right. Um, so from the beginning we said, if you order from us, like we allow like a few exceptions, like no game or no pork, because some people just can't handle game meat, which Mm -hmm. I understand. And some people for various reasons don't want to eat pork. Mm -hmm. And, um, so, but other than that, you, you eat what we make. And we make what's available. Reminds me of my mom at the dinner table. This is yeah. what's for dinner. This, this is, is what's what for get. dinner. Yeah. I remember staring at a thing of Brussels sprouts when I was uh, like six years old for like 40 minutes. And it was like, who was going to break first? Right. My parents were like in, in the living room watching 90210 or something. They're <laughs> like, you can sit there as long as you want. And you're, you're eating those Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and my mom is is a very good cook now. We both my brother and I went to culinary school and we've we've given her a lot of tips and tricks, but she'll be the first to admit that those Brussels sprouts and the her pork chops were not something that were gonna make you really uh love those things. Okay. And I think that that's you know, another thing is that um a big reason why I knew this would work is is kind of with this wave of foodies and actually good restaurants and stuff. Mm-hmm people are starting to eat more things and they're starting to eat sweet bread and liver and, you know, beef tongue tacos and things that they wouldn't normally know, you know, know to eat. But at the same time, nobody has the time. I mean, look at your schedule. Like when in there are you going to go to culinary class right? <laughs> and learn to make like the perfect broth and learn to make the perfect braise and, you know, your own spice blend and mm-hmm. things like that. Like we, in like two generations, basically, all forgot how to cook when that used to be something you know my grandpa was just as good of a cook as my grandma Mm -hmm. and like that in like two generations is just gone right where most people can't cook I remember some of my best memories with my grandmother were cooking she was always cooking everything from scratch when she grew up her family owned a grocery store and she knew how to like go to the market and pick the best cuts of meat and all this stuff and you know, even my parents, we always cooked dinner at night or my parents always had 
you know, dinner for us, but it's, it's still very different from cooking everything from scratch. And like, it's a whole day production to be cooking lunch and dinner for your family with that kind of quality, I think. It's, yeah. And it's, um, it's something that we like recognized and we kind of wanted to solve. And then the other thing that I, for me, you know, I worked at restaurants in Atlanta where we won James Beard, you know, best chef of the South. We won best cuisine from Bon Appetit. Like I had to do prep production for food that was used on the cover of the magazine for Bon Appetit. And it's like, so that's where my career was headed Mm -hmm. before I kind of got burnt out on, on the hours and everything. So when I started this company, I was like, man, the only way I'm going to be able to look my chef friends in the face is if this food is good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that it's that it's popular and that it's convenient and that people want to eat this way now and so that we could be successful even if it was just okay. Right. But I got to be able to look those guys in the face, you know, and still get a handshake from them and not be some infomercial guy is kind of how I thought of it. And so – you know, sticking to the principles of, of, you know, farm to table and making everything from scratch. You know, we don't pre, we don't buy anything. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go to our kitchen in San Diego, all the, um, spice rubs are handmade. There's a ton of like chilies, dried chilies in the freezer, mm-hmm. make our own pepper blends. Like everything's made from scratch. We, we take the fat that's saved from trimming, uh, the animals mm-hmm. and, render it and then that's what we cook the vegetables in so if you get a roasted pork loin we're cooking the broccoli uh and onion saute that comes with that in Mm. in the pork fat and that for me is was what i learned in that really great restaurant because you want to wrap everything in the flavor of what you're eating and what you're cooking Mm -hmm. makes it more unctuous and you know good good uh stock which uh, everyone in our world calls broth bone broth now, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it was just stock to me then. If you do it right, it's got all this gelatin, and it, which gives it mouthfeel, which gives it this like sexy, like you know, mouth filling uh, difference. Which is when I, from the time I was a kid, it was like when you go and ate restaurant food, it was better, mm-hmm. than it was, which is different. And it's those kind of things, cooking with the animal fat, using good broth, good stock, that makes the difference in your palate. And then come to find out, flash forward to the paleo world, that's also how food can be the most nutritious as well. Hmm, funny how that works. <laughs> I was like, yeah, oh. It's, it's kind of like it was supposed to work that way. It's like the, the Louis C.K. routine. Like, yeah. you know, if God ever comes back, he's like, I left food on the ground. I left it on the ground. It's, it was there for you. You didn't need to dig for anything. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's – the the two things that I stuck to was that, you know, we're going to kind of stick to our guns and, and teach people like, hey, give it a try. Mm-hmm. You know, try beets, mm-hmm. try duck, try it. And we'll we'll do our best. You know, we're going to make it taste really good so that there's a good chance that you'd like it. I mean, when we were kids, Brussels sprouts were the worst, right? Right. <laughs> and now every gastropub in the world is like, oh, if you cook them twice with ghee or butter and add some toasted pecans on them. They're the best. Yeah. Yeah. They're amazing. And all of your food comes from local sources, correct? Yes. So 
Um, it's actually was, was really cool. So when we started in San Diego, I had to go visit the farms and I had to go meet everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I had never worked in the city at all. And uh, we developed relationships with Susie's farm. And then we found a rancher that was a couple hours away, open spaces meet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, everything comes from, you know, within a couple hundred miles for the most part. There's might be some spices or something like that that are grown uh, like in a hot house, like in Washington or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in Atlanta, uh, that was actually, you know, getting the kitchen open is always hard, getting the permits and everything and getting all the approvals. But as far as the, the farm and, uh, ranch relationships, I, I had already had that from when I was here before. Okay. So, so it was like, I just called up some old buddies and I was like, Hey, let's go get a bite to eat. Um, I'm back in town and I need to use your, your guys' stuff. Mm-hmm. And the cool thing is Atlanta has had a huge, just the restaurant scene has gone just out of control here and, and for the better the food is amazing the op, you know the options are mm-hmm. so full so in turn the farms have gotten much bigger and they are able to you know they've grown organically uh uh in both ways mm-hmm. and are able to uh support the size and volume that we need and the biggest thing when we were in san diego is there wasn't that there were the farms weren't that big mm-hmm. out here. You know, you can go. Yes, it's California and the central coast is, you know, that's where every food for the entire country is grown. Mm-hmm. But then it's, it's put into a gas truck. It's shipped all over the, you know, it's not it's not fresh and local just because it happens to be from California. Right. So that was a, another main driver behind all whatever you grow for the farms that I could find. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll make. Okay. And so that was the biggest, the biggest ability to stick to your principles on locality is sticking to the menu principle of if it's around, then we're going to eat it. Right. And when you think about it like that, you know, as far as the origins of the paleo diet and all of that stuff, like that's the point, like forever. And as, as time on end, humans could only eat what was around when it was around. Mm hmm. It's a very relatively new concept that in January I can go to Whole Foods and get asparagus from Argentina. Right. <laughs> you, know? yeah, you can get vegetables year-round and fruits year-round no matter where you are. And, and you know, to, to some degree I understand, like, that's that's uh, that can be a good thing. But, um, you know, obviously having more available fresh food and things like that. But um, I, I always, like, give Whole Foods a hard time. It's like people say, oh, it's where you go to get, you know, the I think that the illusion of that being like the health place to go get healthy stuff. Mm-hmm. And they do have some local products. But again, like if you go in January, February, if you're in Connecticut, like they have a lot of stuff from Chile and Argentina. Mm-hmm. And if you think like, okay, that thing got put on a container ship like 5,000 miles from here. Like what's the carbon footprint of one thing of asparagus? Because you won't learn how to eat a rutabaga. <laughs> and that since that's what's in right. season that you know right. and you know, citrus and fennel and all the things that are in season and this is kind of a great segue into I know you also have a book called paleo by season um that's something and, and in that book you kind of give people principles and teach people how to eat what's local and what's fresh um I 
just this pa- for the past year or so, I've started using our local CSA here in Cleveland and have found it to be really useful for that purpose of getting more variety and eating what's local and definitely branching out and eating things that I normally wouldn't. Um, but it's still challenging to prepare and like think ahead of time. Okay, what am I going to do with this? Or is it just going to sit in my, like right now, I think in my refrigerator, I have several vegetables that are about to go bad because I haven't done anything with them yet this week. So I was hoping maybe you could talk about some tips for people who are using maybe a local CSA or trying to eat local and how you approach that to make sure you get the most out of your food. Yeah, for sure. Um, so kudos to you for doing the CSA. That is hands down. I talk about it in the book. Like if you want to force yourself to really branch out and to really figure out, you know, what is actually in season and then also um, all the different things that you should be eating, um, the CSA is the way to go. And it also, you're really like buying stock in your local farm mm-hmm. because you're, you're guaranteeing them business. Cause you pay, you pay up front, you know? So right. same, same for, same for me with how I switched the model where like restaurants hope people come in and they have already bought all the food and I don't buy food until I know how many orders I have. So we're not wasting product. Right. It's the same for the farmers. Like they don't have to like hope like, Oh, I hope if I plant these, this food, people will buy it. Mm-hmm. With CSA, they know that they have that investment already. And so it's a really a great way for the community to grow the food community to grow together. Now, in regards to how to actually tackle the CSA once it's in your house, mm-hmm. um, the first thing is, uh, you know, things like greens and stuff like that, like Swiss chard or kale or your lettuce and everything, mm-hmm. they need to be washed right away. And I recommend, like, if you have, um, like, a wet paper towel or a damp paper towel and wrap them around the greens mm. and to place them in. Because your t- your fr- refrigerator is typically a little too cold, okay, um, for those types of vegetables. Um, you know, a lot of times you'll come back two days later and the shard will be all brown and limp, and you think that's because it's like, oh, the fr- it wasn't cold enough. Mm-hmm. Fridge, it was too cold. Oh, okay. um, so if you wrap it on the damp towel and put it in the chiller and actually slide it to the warmest one, um, you'll get. Hmm. Uh, the best amount of time out of the greens, but also you want to, those things have a limited shelf life. So you need to kind of focus on cooking those first. Okay. Um, the lettuces and stuff like that are going to last the least amount of time. Um, but when things start to go bad, what I always do is, uh, either make a soup or make a frittata. Those are good (laughs) go-tos. So you, so, or, or, you know, you can, uh, cut just cut up all the vegetables, mm-hmm. toss them in olive oil, put a little salt and pepper on them, mm-hmm. throw them on a sheet pan and roast them, because they'll last for you know a week to ten days in your fridge cooked. Mm-hmm. And then every time you need some vegetables, like you get home, you've been at work, at school, at the gym. It's nine thirty at night. Like you've got maybe thirty minutes until you just fall onto your bed and pass out. Mm-hmm. Um, if you already have the vegetables cut up, chopped and roasted, it's pretty easy to cook a piece of meat real quick and warm up the, the vegetables in the microwave and, or in a pan and, uh, 
and just have a meal ready to go. Mm-hmm. So um, the biggest thing is when they are about to go bad, when you like grab that sweet potato and feels kind of soft. Right. It's like, oh, this isn't what it's <laughs> supposed to feel like. Um, uh, make it happen and just say, okay, I'm going to take an hour. I'm going to, I'm going to peel, chop, roast all these veggies. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to make a, like a frittata, like, especially when my wife was pregnant, um, she, you know, waking up in the morning, it was like protein was absolutely necessary, but any meat like would just make her, it didn't stay down. Okay. So what I did was I would take like our CSA supply and I would just roast everything, let it cool in the fridge, whip a bunch of eggs into it, mm-hmm. pour pour it into pour that mixture into muffin tins. Oh yeah, that's good. You bake it, you know, you bake it for uh, at 325, 350 until it, you can stick a knife in it and it comes out clean. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And they last in the fridge for a week. And she had like immediate food whenever she needed it. And then it just became something that we do all the time because, you know, we're still really busy and we still have a hard time, you know, making time for ourselves to cook. Right. But if you can grab, you know, if you can grab a, uh, one of those egg pucks and, and it's got vegetables and meat and, and protein in it and you're sure. ready to go. So one other question I wanted to ask was for, like you said, when you first started, most people who want to try paleo for the first time, it's a big change and they're trying to go with what's easy and convenient. Most of the time, and I'm guilty of this too, it's like, okay, let's just cook up a bunch of chicken breasts and broccoli and almonds and make, put them in my Tupperware for the week and that's what I'm going to eat every single day. Um, aside from, of course, buying some pre-made meals, what would be your tips for someone who's just starting out with paleo Um it maybe has not had any experience cooking, but to try to get at least a little bit of variety as they're starting out. Well, uh, the biggest thing that I would recommend is is you can do your what you just said. So you can take a week's worth of chicken breast mm-hmm. and roast mm-hmm. it off. But instead of saying, okay, now I'm done, I just have roasted chicken breast, some of that chicken breast you can just toss in a little bit of curry powder. Mm-hmm. and uh, olive oil and throw in some golden raisins and okay now it's chicken curry salad mm-hmm. um, you can add uh, you know roasted garlic and rosemary to other chicken breast like take uh, some simple flavor profiles that you love like when you go to a restaurant like I always get this curry I always mm-hmm. get Penang curry okay well go buy Penang curry powder and and start stocking your pantry with the flavor profiles that you love that you seek out in restaurants mm-hmm. and then just add so when you roast you know a week's worth of sweet potatoes everyone likes roasted sweet potatoes but again toss like a little bit of it in you know if it's in the if it's in the winter you can use like a little bit of sage and like a touch of cinnamon and allspice and nutmeg mm-hmm. make it like this savory sweet kind of almost it'll remind you of like you know sweet potato um souffle that you have at Thanksgiving with like the marshmallows and stuff on top. It doesn't have any of that stuff, but because it has the same flavor profiles, um, you'll start to really realize like, Oh, like I can do this. Um, I think that like just adding like a few decent like spices and spice blends that, you know, just read the back of the the thing and read the back of the label, make sure it's not half sugar. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. 
and really try to experiment with like the flavors that you like and actually like using them in your home cooking okay. and, and, and okay. start with what you know. And then, and then, um, try something new every week, like try a new vegetable, try a new protein okay. and, and start with what you know. So if you know, uh, um, here's how people look at like, uh, chicken and they say, oh, well, chicken's all the same. Chefs wouldn't really look at things like that. Mm. Like a chicken thigh and a chicken breast are two different animals to mm. us. They cook different. They taste different. They react different. Mm-hmm. But a pork tenderloin and a chicken breast are essentially the same thing. They're lean meat. They cook fast. They don't have a ton of flavor on their own. You need to add flavor. Mm-hmm. Whereas a pork butt and a chicken thigh are exactly the same thing. Tons of connective tissue, tons of fat, tons of flavor. Mm-hmm. They need to be cooked longer. Um, they need, you know, they work really well with braises. So if you know how to make a pulled chipotle chicken, you know how to make a pulled chipotle pork. Mm-hmm. And if you know how to make a grilled curry chicken salad, you know how to make a grilled pork tenderloin salad. Okay. And so okay. it's it's how the, it's how the things cook and what they're actually made up of which I know is like a little second tier kind of thought process with food. But um, if you start to think, is this, is this lean meat or is this dark meat? Is this, you know, is this going to cook fast? Is this going to cook quick? Does it have mm-hmm. flavor on its own or do I need to, you know, heavily season? Um, that's, that's where you're going to start to learn. And with vegetables, if you know how to cook kale, then you know how to cook Swiss chard, then you know how to cook mustard greens, then you know how to cook Anything that's frilly and green and has mm-hmm. a big stem running through the center, <laughs> you now know how to cook. And with, you know, sweet potatoes, okay, you know how to cook sweet potatoes? Then you know how to cook rutabagas, butternut squash, beets, chioga beets, you know, golden all all of the starchy vegetables, you now know how to cook. They, they cook the same. So that's the biggest thing is you got to start to think like a chef a little bit and and think not just, you know, what it is, but what, what makes it what it is? Like, why are mm-hmm. you, why are you eating the sweet potato? Well, cause I need a starchy glucose filled vegetable mm-hmm. that isn't, you know, pasta and, uh, you know, start to think of the other things that are like that. And you'll realize that there's a ton out there that you could be cooking that you probably could figure out if you gave it a try. That's great advice. So kind of start with what you know, but then think about the family of food that you're cooking and try to branch out um, maybe every week trying something new. That's great. Yeah. You know, once you make the curry chicken salad, make a pork curry salad and, and really like, Mm -hmm. then you start to end up, then you turn yourself eventually and, you know, within two to three months of doing that, you'll be like the Pete's Paleo kitchen where it's, we don't care what comes in. The, The chef, you know, the, our meat purveyor calls and says, you know, I have this venison from Colorado that's this amazing venison from like it's a 10,000 acre mm-hmm. ranch and the casino doesn't want it or the hotel doesn't want it. We'll, we'll take it. Yeah. We'll take it. We know how to make it delicious. Like venison's lean, strong tasting meat. So we cook it fast. We season it light. We, we you know, that's mm-hmm. it. Very cool. All right, one more topic I want to cover before I get to my last three questions that I ask everyone, and that oh. is bacon. <laughs> Everyone's favorite paleo food, um, oh. but it's not always so simple, and a lot of the bacon that you can buy in the store is not actually what you think it is. 
Um, and I know you have been doing a bacon that is delicious and I've been enjoying very much. Um, but maybe you could give people a little education on what to look for in their bacon and what is going to make it um, actually better for you versus something that is not necessarily paleo or healthy. Yeah, for sure. I think the biggest thing, um, you know, as far as what what traditional bacon is in the in the store, what we you know again when we had the box of Capri Sun, mm-hmm. was the Oscar Mayer bacon next to it. Yep. So that meat comes from commodity pigs, which probably live the worst life. I think them and chickens could mm-hmm. buy for which of them has it worse in commodity farming, but. They don't eat anything good. They get fed a ton of antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, if you haven't seen Food, Inc. yet, definitely recommend anyone listening to watch that movie. That was very eye-opening. Food, Inc. is uh, incredible. Uh, if you're a reader, Omnivore's Dilemma is... Ah, uh, yes. Um, is, is Omnivore's Dilemma, I read that book right when I was coming into learning about paleo. Mm-hmm. Being a, I, was, I was a chef at that point, and it was... It's one of those th- things in life you look back and you're like, I'm really glad that that happened when it happened. When it happened. Yeah, that was a great. I actually listened to that one on audiobook and that was fantastic. And you're like, oh, we're all corn chips. <laughs> uh, so the pigs eat nothing but corn and fed antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the actual process of making the bacon, they hang the bacon, they spray it or soak it overnight in sugar water, mm-hmm. sugar and salt water. Um, what that does is it fills the bacon up with water and sugar. So when you buy the bacon, you're paying for half of its water Mm. and then they put it through a machine that sprays a smoke flavoring on it. Yum. And then it's sliced and then it's sold to you as bacon, actual bacon, which someone like Mr. Benton in Tennessee, uh, has made for a long time is cured for multiple days. Now, what that what that means is traditionally like Benton's bacon, they do use sugar in their cure. Mm-hmm. But it's salt and sugar and spices, but sugar isn't necessary for a chemical cure. It's just people have come to like the flavor. Mm-hmm. So we essentially take the same approach. We have a blend of salt and spices, and then we don't use the pink salt. Okay, that's that's like a chemical that's made and used in commercial cured meats. Uh, there's tons of nitrates naturally occurring in celery powder. So we just make that one of the spices that we use. Hmm. And the combination of the nitrates and the celery powder and the salt sitting on the meat for a few days forms what's called a pellicle, um, which is a layer of, of uh, like a film on the skin. And then you smoke it, and now it's actually bacon. Wow. We smoke our bacon for about 10 hours, um, and then it's hung overnight. Um, the entire time that we're curing it, it sits on racks so that any moisture that gets pulled out by the salt, the falls away. Mm-hmm. And that is again, so think of, you know, like I said, they pump their bacon full of water, mm-hmm. pull water out of our bacon. Mm. So you notice since you've, uh, worked with ours now, um, how our bacon doesn't like spatter, spatter as much as regular bacon. Right. It's because the, it's wa- it's not the when bacon uh, shoots all over the place when you're cooking it, mm-hmm. that's water coming out and hitting the fat in the pan, ah. jumping out of the pan. Okay, and that's why, like, I mean, it, it, every bacon's going to spatter a little bit, but that's why ours is much less dangerous to cook with. Okay, another 
good side effect of having good bacon. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, overall, it's it's we get our um, our pork comes from Mennonite farmers okay. who raise the 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 pigs from from birth. They don't get shipped off somewhere else for slaughter. They're taken care of. Uh, they grow all of the food that they feed the pigs. It's a one stop shop. So. Yeah. These are, it's like a National Geographic video. If you watch the video on um, where the pork comes from. And uh, the other thing that really bothers me is the illusion of health. Mm. I I don't know if there's two things that bother me more in the grocery store than fat-free raspberry vinaigrette. Oh, my gosh. And uncured turkey bacon. (laughs) The first three ingredients in that raspberry vinaigrette that's fat-free is raspberry puree, cane sugar and evaporated cane juice, which is three ways of saying sugar. Sugar, sugar, sugar. <laughs> and if you look at uncured turkey bacon, they still have to use, so they don't use the pink salt, they just use a ton of celery mm-hmm. powder as well. But claiming that something's uncured is isn't accurate in that case. And it's also, it's like preying on people's fears. Mm-hmm of, um, oh, cured meat's bad. Well, not necessarily. Like, cured meat was how we survived because we didn't have refrigeration for, you know, till 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. So, you know, cured meat's been fine for a long time. It's, uh, it's we, we have screwed it up. And, you know, that, that turkey bacon is the worst turkeys and the, all the bits of the turkey mm. round up they use binders and fillers and coloring and they spread it out into a sheet and then they cut it into bacon-like shapes. <laughs> and, you know, it's – I'll have the turkey bacon and a Diet Coke and it's like – it's it's the illusion <laughs> of – the illusion of being healthy when if you just eat real food. You know, I always try to tell people that if they have a bad taste in their mouth about the paleo diet, which can happen, sure, you know, people get uh, they get misinformation or they just listen to their friends or whatever, mm-hmm. and they say, you know, oh, is, isn't that that raw diet or isn't that that diet where you just eat bacon? And I I like to call it the great grandmother diet. I, I refer mm-hmm. to the test that Michael Pollan actually used in Omnivore's Dilemma. Yeah. Like if your great grandmother looks at it and says, oh, that's fennel or that's whatever, mm-hmm. like you're probably okay to eat it. Maybe if you're super strict paleo or if you're training or something like that, like you wouldn't eat all the things that she would eat. Mm-hmm. But it's a really good, you know, she wouldn't recognize Gogurt and she wouldn't recognize turkey bacon. Right. She wouldn't recognize, you know, um, it's really just about getting back to what we've always eaten. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so turkey bacon isn't healthy. Uh, and real bacon is and <laughs> when, you're, when you're at the grocery store. Uh, if you want to get, you know, a decent bacon, look for one that doesn't have water added and look for one that doesn't have sugar. That's hard to do, but they're out it, there. I think, I think Applegate maybe is, I don't, but maybe I've seen a couple. I think Applegate might actually add a little bit of sugar, but I'm not, I'm not sure. It's, it's definitely, it's mm-hmm. hard to find, um, that was another big reason to open the Atlanta kitchen was that, you know, a lot of people just want, they cook their own food, but mm-hmm. the bacon is like, okay, I'm not curing and smoking meat. Right. 
Um, and so being able to have two kitchens that we're producing our bacon out of now to drop the shipping for people and make it more affordable to have at home was a big, a big plus. Awesome. All right. I want to end with three questions I ask everyone. So the first one is three things you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health. Uh, I focus on getting a good amount of sleep. Oh, that's good. (laughs) I focus on a good amount of time every week reading and not watching TV. Uh, I think not being in front of the screen all the time is very healthy. Mm -hmm. And I think... Reading is a way better way to for me personally. Um, you know, it, it could be, and again, I'm a nerd, so I read, you know, The Economist or uh, like non, you know, fiction history. So oh, cool. <laughs> I'm a big nerd. Um, but, and the third thing is I make sure that I get outside with my daughter every day. Mm-hmm. I, you know, basically, since I've, we've had the, had her, she's been amazing. Um, but definitely the training time has all but vanished Mm -hmm. (laughs) on top of, on top of, you know, moving and doubling the size of my business. Right. Uh, right. But I like in San Diego, I just every day at seven o'clock when she got up, I would let my wife sleep and I would go for an hour walk with her. Oh, awesome. And, uh, I try at least like four or five times a week to just go and go to the park and run around with her. And again, like, I'm a big Louis C.K. fan. He always talks about like he, he, you know, he takes his daughters to the park and he's he's playing with them. He's running around and playing mm-hmm. with, them. and like all the other parents are just like on their phones. <laughs> you know, leave me alone. Go, you know, go away. Go play. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those are the three things that I'm doing now that uh, are definitely the best. And sleep is is easily the most important. Absolutely, like, and so underestimated by a lot of people. Turn the TV up. Turn the TV off. Like. I remember the first um, uh, Invictus in San Diego was one of the first gyms that was like nice enough to carry us and um, really helped us get our start. And CJ Martin, the coach there, mm-hmm. did uh, did a like a seminar on health and wellness, and and I was there, and he talked about sleep for most of the time. Wow! Um, and that always That's stuck with great. me, and it's and it's very true. So. That's great. What about maybe this is for you, the training lately, but one thing that you just can't fit into your schedule or you have a hard time implementing on a regular basis, but you think it would have a big impact on your health? I think it's, yeah, it's definitely the training. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, uh, you probably wouldn't understand this because you've somehow managed to continue training despite whatever is going <laughs> uh, Sometimes. <laughs> it hasn't always been as consistent as I would like, but. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm definitely like someone that lives in the extremes. It's just my personality. Mm-hmm. So when I got into CrossFit, I got into it. And I did it every day. And, you know, like I said, I was, I started doing the competition training, even though I had no, I have no, uh, intuition that I'm going to go down that path. I just liked the intensity of it. Right. I liked being in the gym for two and a half hours. And so now it's about like recognizing, um, I, I had some injuries from that time mm-hmm. and I went, I went to an orthopedist two weeks ago and basically had them do x-rays on all my shoulders and mm-hmm. MRIs and all that stuff. And, and everything's fine. Um, and he said, like, he said, are you single? I said, no, I'm married. I have a kid. He goes, so what do you need to be like super ripped for, bro? Like just, 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> he's, he's like, I, he's like, I understand that that's your business and that you're around those people and, and everything like that. He said, but a few times a week, like get in the gym, like you can still do CrossFit. You just, you know, you don't have to be, try to be the strongest guy in the gym. You don't have mm-hmm. to RX every workout, like just go there. Yeah. You know, it's just getting in there. So I, I think, uh, yeah, the biggest thing that's holding me back is probably my ego right now as, as well. Cause it's like, Oh, I used to be here. Right. I used, right. I used to be able to do, you know, handstand pushups. And you know, when my daughter was born, I remember like walking back and forth on the, on the deck, uh, on my hands, like for something to do mm-hmm. as a workout. Cause I couldn't leave. And now like the idea of like doing that, I'm like, Oh, there's no way this is way too much. <laughs> um, which in turn makes me not want to, uh, get back in cause you're, you hate, you hate to feel like you're starting over again. Right. And so I think the biggest thing for me would be probably making time for it and putting my ego aside and just being content with the fact that I'm getting in the gym and doing something. Definitely. I think that's the biggest mindset change I've taken because I know I'm, it, you know, I know I'm never going to be wh- exactly where I was a couple of years ago, but I've sort of switched my mindset to just be like, okay, just get in the gym and get the work done for an hour and who cares what your times are, what your scores are. Um, and that's made a big difference for me. It's still, it's certainly at times it's hard because you're like, Oh man, I used to be able to do this or that, but you have to look at it in the big picture, I think. Well, you always set you like, so I remember that, uh, there was a video that you did at the university where you did Fran and they like measured. Oh Yeah. And you did it in like 220 or something, I don't know, whatever crazy time you had. And my friend time at that, I had just gotten it under five minutes. That's and a- like I couldn't use my arms for like three hours. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like hacking up along and uh-huh. I was like, so yeah, when I see someone like Josh Bridges like work out or uh-huh. like when I watched you work out, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm never going to be there. That's not in the cards <laughs> for me. <laughs> Well, it's, it's, that's the beauty of CrossFit is there's always, you can always get better and there's always going to be people who to chase and who are better than you. So it's all my about kind of the personal out. journey. My brother works out in, uh, the gym, uh, that Emily Bridgers works out of. Okay. And he's, he's a big guy. He's a big, strong Marine. Mm-hmm. And she just comes in every day and smokes him. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Very cool. All right. Last question is what does a healthy life look like to you? Healthy life. Um, focus on your family and taking care of your family mm-hmm. and recognizing that focusing on your family and taking care of your family is taking care of yourself. I love that. Uh, my, I, I, uh, I was heavily influenced by my grandparents growing up and none of them are around mm. anymore. And they mm-hmm. all, smoked and drank and were amazing people that taught me a lot. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like I said, taking care of your family is being there for them and being there for them means you got to take care of yourself. That is amazing. Perfect note to end on. <laughs> All right. At least you have part of the interview. So. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you and can't wait to share this episode. All right. Well, thank you uh, much as well. 
Thank you all for tuning into this episode. I loved getting to know Pete a little bit better, hearing more about his background, and most importantly, getting some great tips for myself to implement so that I can get more out of my meal prep and making sure I'm making the most of what I'm putting in my body. To make sure you never miss an episode in the future and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouché.com, where you can subscribe to my email list. Also, don't forget to share your stories. I love hearing them, so please let me know if you've used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge. You can email me at info at juliefouché.com, and I'll choose some of these stories to share here on the podcast in future episodes. Also, if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five-star rating on iTunes. You can train with me at beyondthewhiteboard.com slash juliefouché. Head there for more details. I also always love hearing your feedback, so please leave comments under this post on my website. You can share your thoughts on social media using the hashtag JFHealth and let me know what you think there. Pete's Paleo is also doing a giveaway contest this week, so make sure you check back to my website as well as my social media accounts for all the details. And thank you again so much for tuning in. I'll catch you next time here on Pursuing Health. 